America is underway here on ESPN Plus. Alongside Hercules Gomez, I'm Sebastian Salazar. Herc, always, always good to be with you, but a little bit sad. Uh, since we last met, both your beloved Sounders and my beloved Club America have gone out of their respective playoffs. Mm. If I didn't know just how much joy you get out of my misery, I'd be surprised to see you here today. I'm here today not just because of the joy out of your misery, but all of your miseries if you're an Americanista mm -hmm. and are one of our guests who will be here, Mauricio Pedrosa, as well. Yes, and there are many miseries to discuss. Of course, a good time now to remind you about the podcast. If you don't want to see the show, you've seen enough of Herc and me. Well, you can listen Impossible. to the show uh, as well. What do we got coming up today? Yes, Mauricio Pedrosa will join us to talk about the Liga Mekis playoffs as they're down to their last four. The MLS playoffs down to their last four as well. David Ochoa of Surprise Package Real Salt Lake is going to join us in just a few minutes here on Football Americas. The U.S. women's national team is just a few hours from playing, so we'll talk about that. Also, a new champion, Herc, in the USL, Orange County, getting it done. So we'll talk about that towards the end of the show here on Football Americas. But let's start, Herc, with the international game and some big news, actually, uh, from last week in terms of World Cup and specifically the draw for the Intercontinental Playoff. Now, we know the first three teams from CONCACAF, Herc, they go automatically to the World Cup. Uh, in Qatar. The fourth team, though, however, has to go to a playoff. And now we know who, or at least from which confederation, the opponent will come from. It will be Oceania's winner, which we know in the, in the past is very likely to be New Zealand. In fact, if we go back to 2014, folks will remember Mexico had to go to New Zealand, where they won 9-3 uh, across two legs to qualify for the World Cup in Brazil. So, Herc, tell me the short of it. What does this mean for CONCACAF? Ah, uh, the sebi of it. It's the best possible scenario. It really, you set me up. Sebi, it really is the best possible scenario for CONCACAF. You don't got to go to play a comedy ball team. You're going to play most likely the team that is ranked 110 in the FIFA World Rankings, which is New Zealand. You already said in 2014, Mexico went in a two-legged affair. The first one was, what, 5-1, second mm -hmm. was 4-2, a 9-3 aggregate. This is quite possibly the best possible scenario to assure four CONCACAF teams, with all due respect to Oceania, with all due respect to New Zealand, if it is them, this is what CONCACAF wanted. So I think if it's USA, Mexico, or Canada, they'd be a huge favorite over New Zealand. If it's somebody like Panama, though, Herc, I don't think it's a, it's a huge favorite there because you look at those rosters, and, and they're much more similar in terms of where guys play. It's like Belgium, Israel, uh, not the top leagues in Europe, but a lot of guys scattered throughout Europe. Um, they also have a player in Chris Wood who, for the last half decade, has averaged double-digit goals in the Premier League. So okay. they do have some elite-level talent down there in New Zealand. But if it's one of the top three dogs of CONCACAF that some how slips into that fourth place, no way they're getting tested by New Zealand. Panama, though, so uh, maybe, maybe I could see how Panama's some trouble. good enough to knock out one of those three teams that you just said are top dogs, but not good enough for New Zealand. No, I'm just saying in a two-legged affair, okay, okay. It's, it's a very different story, it is a okay? different. It is a different story, uh, but there's a reason that Oceania only gets half a spot guaranteed. We could say what we want, whether it's fair or not to them, whether it's fair or not to whomever it may mm -hmm. be. It is what it is, and usually in these two-legged affairs between CONCACAF and Oceania, well, it's been CONCACAF. You know who's uh, crying unfair? Some folks over in Europe after their playoff draw was announced, uh, specifically the fact that Portugal and Italy are both in path C, which means, Herc, that one or both of these teams, both I think we, we're fair to call them superpowers, right, won't go to the next World Cup. Let's get a question first in here on preference. Who would you miss more in Qatar, Portugal or Italy? 
I think in general I would miss more Italy because that's who I've grown accustomed to seeing World Cups. I've grown accustomed to seeing Italy become a world power in World Cups, that defensive effort, that whatnot. But Cristiano Ronaldo is the easy answer. Mm. So I'm going to go with Portugal. I'm going to go with Cristiano Ronaldo. And also, if we want to talk about fair, I can't help but feel that Cristiano Ronaldo and Portugal were hard done. They only lost one game, and it was that last minute game winner at the hands of Serbia. Do you remember the first leg against Serbia, the first game against Serbia, that goal that was disallowed, or I should say no goal? Uh, I don't know how they feel not slighted. On the other mm. hand, Italy, out of their eight games, they drew four. So if you wanted to say or go somewhat in fairness, I would say more of a gripe with Portugal. And I would honestly miss Cristiano Ronaldo more on that world level. I want to see one last go around to see if Cristiano and Messi can do it. I get the, the wanting to see Cristiano one last time, but have you seen Portugal play, like actually play? For all of the talent that they have, they play for nothing. I would much more miss Italy. I mean, Italy is a team that you legit have as a favorite if they qualify based, if nothing else, on what they did this past summer in the European Championships. Not only did they win the tournament, they were the best team throughout. I think, without a doubt, I would miss Italy a lot. Portugal does not play for Anything, not yeah. seeing them in the World Cup. Come Portugal, on. Portugal is the Uruguay of the North, and this is Ooh. why. This is why I actually think with a better structure, better coaching, they could actually do something. They've got personnel, they've got players. They don't necessarily have to play to that way. But you can't tell me the allure of Cristiano Ronaldo one last time. And by the way, Italy had their chances in this qualification process. You drew four times. The, the, the European Cup winners drew four times in their group. So UEFA gets 13 automatic spots in the World Cup. Now, some folks would say, hey, if they had 14, 15, 16, you might not have Portugal and Italy in a playoff potentially against each other for a spot in the World Cup. What do you think, Herc? A 13 spots for UEFA, is that enough? Of course it's enough. I mean, you want to see all the top 20, I don't know, 25, hmm. 26 teams, I'm sorry, in, in Europe play against each other in a World Cup. You know what that's called? The Euros. It happens <laughs> as well. So go down that route. They've got 55 teams, 13 spots, okay? Africa has 54. They get five spots. Look at this. And you got Asia's got 46, four and a half. CONCACAF, 34, three and a half. I, I, I don't understand why all of a sudden it's unfair to UEFA. Mm -hmm. Do you not remember some of the last World Cups, 2014 World Cup, how many European countries made it? CONCACAF, do you remember the 2014 World Cup in CONCACAF and what happened there? Costa Rica led the group with Italy, Uruguay, uh, England. The U.S. got out of a group with Germany and Portugal. Uh, Mexico got out of a group with Brazil, Cameroon, and Croatia. Why are we crying about this? Because all of a sudden, two European champions got put off in a playoff because they couldn't do it in qualifying? Were you gonna go? Were you gonna go, Jim Moore? There with a playoff, playoff. We're talking playoffs. <laughs> um, look, I think the people who are complaining about this are the same people who are, who are complaining about the expanded World Cup, right? It's a let's keep it more to ourselves. Let's not invite more. Let's not have more no, here. Sam, um, so that's no, different. No, no, no. I, I think it is. I think it's a uh, it's a lot of the same crowd. I, I do want to point out something real quick before we move on. Sports Illustrated is Brian Strauss, great friend of the program, part of the uh, many very talented soccer writers in the D.C. area. Yes, he is. Uh, pointed this out on Twitter. Europe. 10% of the world's population, 40% of the World Cup bids. I think they're okay, right? That's not that fair to you, Herc? They're fine. The mantra for FIFA is grow the game, not grow Europe. Yes, exactly. All right, let's move on to the U.S. men's national team because we got some news from last week out of U.S. soccer as well. Where the home sites will be for some of these games in the upcoming January and February window. So January 27th against El Salvador, Herc, that one is going to be in Columbus. We're going back to Lower.com Field. How about that? Uh, and then January 
30th, sorry, February 2nd, oh, sorry, Jan February 2nd against Honduras will be in Minnesota. Let me get that straight. Uh, January 30th, they're away in Canada, uh, in Hamilton, which I don't know precisely where Hamilton is, Herc, your it's, Canadian it's geography next, probably uh, I believe better it's than mine. Toronto. Yeah, I'm sure it's cold. Um, <laughs> so what do you think, Herc? Are you cool, no pun intended, with where U.S. soccer has chosen to play these games? I'm so torn with this, Seb. I, I want to give you a straight answer, but I feel it's impossible. I understand the difficulties of, of wanting to play elsewhere and spread mm -hmm. it across the U.S. And, and get this to be more globalized within, I shouldn't say globalized, to, to more easily accessed for the U.S. men's national team fan, but it'd be very difficult putting games on the West Coast and then having traveled to the East Coast, time zone changes, the European players coming in and all that said and done. And I understand the wanting to play in a Horn Fortress sort of stadium, and Columbus certainly does that for you. Ohio has done that for you. But... I think if FIFA's mantra is grow the game and U.S. soccer is to grow the game within the United States, you have to do it. There are certain games that you have to take out of these localized places like Columbus, and you've got to spread them out hmm. in the West Coast. You've got to spread them out in the East Coast. You've got to spread them out in the South, wherever you can. I didn't have the luxury of watching the U.S. men's national team play when I was younger. You know, if they were, if they were, I guess, I don't want to say dumb enough, but they put the game in Los Angeles. Maybe I could go, and they were playing against Mexico, but that rarely happens, and it rarely happened today. I want other kids, doesn't matter what their background in life, having the access to see these teams play. Look, I don't disagree with the point that you're making about taking it to other places, not maybe repeating as they're going to do here in Columbus. But for me, the main concern here is the weather. You are going to two very obviously very cold places at a time of year when you know you could get extreme weather. Now, I get it. You want to take El Salvador into the cold. You want to take Honduras into the cold. But, Herc, does the U.S. men's national team need that type of advantage? Is it actually going to help the U.S. to be in a hyper-cold setting? Is it going to make El Salvador or Honduras that much worse? Or is it going to actually impact the American players in a negative way? That's a tough question because a lot of these players are already used to those conditions. Okay, So you put... Yeah, Better but you don't need this players. advantage. That's the point. The U.S. doesn't need this advantage against El Salvador. I don't know if that's the case. They don't need this advantage against Honduras. You're still a growing program. You're still a growing program. There's a reason you take El Tri to Columbus. There's a reason that Canada took them to Edmonton. So they There's can't a beat reason. El Salvador in Orlando, you're saying. They can't beat Honduras in Orlando. I don't know if you want to do that decent, to yourself. With decent pitch, Do you want to take your own players into that weather. humidity, into that sun? Is that what you want to do? We've been down this road before. I don't know if there is an easy answer. I'm telling you because I've seen with my own eyes a Timothy Chandler melt under the Honduran sun in San Pedro Sula. Sometimes these players, you put them in those conditions, it's adverse. I well, mean, do that to the opposition. I don't yeah. mind that. We, all we talk about with this American team is keeping them healthy, and now you're going to bring them back from Europe to play them in three straight games in ice-cold weather. Right. That was you're your right. choice. They never deal with that in that Europe. Was, that was your choice. You could have kept them in the right. warmth, kept those muscles nice and warm, get, keep everybody get healthy. Get Christian Pulisic in pre-wrap and a big feather Speaking coat. of health and player injury concerns. Did you see this about Weston McKinney played over the weekend for Juventus in a 1-0 defeat against Atalanta. Came off in the 64th minute, Herc, with an apparent knee injury. The good news here, Max Allegri says it was, quote, a small thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's a small thing. It's still day-to-day. -day. Let's see what happens with him, how he keeps evolving out of that. I'm still waiting for that male couple from Sebastian Salazar mm -hmm. on Weston McKinney. You said he wasn't an impact player. You said he wasn't playing well. I'd argue he's the most informed player in the national team pool. So I'm waiting, Seb. Okay. Well, you'll have to keep waiting, Herc. <laughs> as we know on Football Americas, as facts change, 
opinions change. <sighs> On to FC Porto. Uh, Jesus Corona, he actually played this weekend. What do you know? He played uh, the final 12 minutes in a 2-1 win uh, for Porto. And it's a story because he's only started uh, twice so far in the league for Porto. Of course, uh, had all that going on over the summer where he wanted to move abroad and could not make it happen. But, Herc, I think the real story here is not necessarily that Tecatito played, but what his manager, Sergio Conceição, said after the match. Honestly, today I don't feel like talking about individual players, only about the group. We have an extremely important and difficult match ahead of us. Now he talks about the individual players. Corona needs to play more, and that is a matter of work. He has to be prepared to respond when called upon. Herc, I'm supposed to ask you if these are shots fired from the Porto manager, <laughs> but it seems fairly obvious these are shots fired, yeah? <laughs> he's not only doing the shooting, he's digging the grave. Mm, uh, that's pretty mm. much what he's doing right there with the Gatito Corona. It's self-explanatory. There seems to be a rift between Sergio Conceição, the Porto uh, board, if you will, ownership, and Tecatito Corona and his camp. And it isn't the first time. This goes back to Tata Martino and Conceição, but it is the first time that we see this since Tecatito Corona wanting to leave and it not happening. Mm -hmm. There's been an obvious connection with him wanting to leave, the deal not getting done, whether Porto wanted it to happen or not, Tecatito's camp or not, and him not playing. And it's affecting his form. It's affecting the way he plays for the Mexican national team. Herc, how common is this that a player, you know, because they don't get a move that they want, gets frozen out? And is it really acceptable? I mean, if you're the player, you still should be useful to this team. I, I, I worry that if Tecatito doesn't get a move in the winter, we're going to be, what, six, seven, eight months of him playing 10 minutes a game? That, that's going to ruin his international career. Yeah, this and is, maybe this his is very club career, too. Yeah, this is very common, Seb. It happens, it happens a lot. We don't know if the rift is from Porto's camp where they wanted to sell him somewhere, they wanted to transfer, and it's Tecatito Corona's camp who says, no, we're no, not Tecatito doing that. Tecatito wants and to play. Felt, he wants to play. Of course it's from the Porto side. No, no, no. What I'm saying, uh, sell somewhere else, and that it materialized, and they're upset, and they're freezing him out. Or it's Tecatito Corona trying to force somewhere else and that didn't set and they're freezing him out. What is clear is they're freezing him out. And mm. this happens all the time. Now, the only one who's going to suffer here is Tecatito Corona because it's apparently affecting this play on the national team. And if you can't be a regular player with your national team and it's affecting your play because you're not, Tata Martino's got a choice to make. Hey, mm. I don't know if I can call you up. Now, what do you do? I mean, at this point, it's either January window comes open and you're free to sign elsewhere, but that's a bit of a risk for whatever team because you're taking on the risk that this player can get hurt and you're taking on the responsibility before he comes to you or maybe a buyout with said club, which I think is the most useful option or scenario to all parties involved, but he needs to leave, he needs to play, and he needs to get back on track. If Porto is not playing him now, could you imagine if he signs a pre-contract how little they'll play him? I mean, oof. Talk about a disaster. I want no part of that. This is going nowhere in a hurry for Tecatito. Let's check in on some uh, good news from Europe over the past couple days as we run it back. Well, we start with uh, a player who could be playing somewhere next to Chucky Lo uh, next to Tecatito for L3. That's Chucky Lozano, his third assist of the season hurt for Napoli. Uh, that's an assist? Yes. That's, that's a golazo. Uh, the, the old MLS or the that's, Magic Johnson in the NBA. That's assist. a golazo. Give it to the guy who knows. Give it to the 10. Tres Martins. That's, a, that's a golazo, let's, man. Let's pad some stats. I love right, those jerseys from, uh, it's from Napoli. Jersey. Gerardo Arteaga. 
he gets an assist as well. His third of the season in the Belgian League. Does, does this count more for you, Herc, or, or no? Eh, <laughs> Which eh, one was less of an assist? Eh, uh, that one's less of an assist. Uh, okay. But listen, it's his third assist, two goals. He yeah. started all 24 games he's played in for Genk. I'm just saying, Tata, I'm just saying. Okay, so a couple assists there for the Mexican contingent in Europe. How about a goal from the American contingent, Tim Ream? Okay, surprise, Tim surprise. Ream. I've always believed in Tim Ream. Everybody I mean, are you knows this. Badmouth Tim Ream. Thirty-four years old, and I'm Tim Ream's biggest fan. That said, last time we saw him play for the U.S. Men's National Team was against El Salvador. He played 90 in El Salvador. Not since. All right, last up here, Timothy Tillman. He's got the U.S. and German eligibility scores here for Greuther Furth. So, I recall we spoke about this kid in Las Vegas. Bayern Munich player. Keep an eye on him. He's got that passport. Mm, another duel that. Could be, could be. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Do it again. A 2-1 win away on Sunday against Sporting Kansas City. The seven seed, the last team into the playoffs in the West, are through to the Western Conference Finals. One of the star men of that team, David Ochoa, joins us now here on Football Americas. David, we've been waiting a long time to get you on the show. Great to have you. Welcome, bienvenido. No, thank you guys. Thank you guys for having me. All right, so walk us through the game here on Sunday. You go down a goal away to Sporting Kansas City, and aside from what I think is like the sickest finish ever from Bobby Wood, <laughs> you got to explain, man. How, how did you guys do it? Oh man, I think you know. I think it's just the the confidence that we have in the locker room. You know, everyone has a good mentality going into these games. Um, you know, we're we're the underdogs in this you know whole playoff campaign, and and we know, and, and you know, we're embracing it a little bit. We we like that pressure that's on us. And, you know, it's just the mentality of not giving up and, and you know, keep, just stay fighting to the end of the whistle. As we saw uh, on decision day, we, we made the playoffs in the last minute, in the last couple seconds. So, so we're not going to stop, you know, stop fighting until the, the whistle is blown. David, I feel like the team's been heavily criticized, especially after the way that you guys advanced versus Seattle. Uh, zero shots on goal. You found a way. Daniel Shallowy had some words. Uh, even at the beginning of the season, Adrian Keith had some words for you guys. Uh, what would you say now to all those people? What would you say now after you guys have advanced? Oh, yeah, it's just, 
you know those those uh those comments that they're saying you know they're making us stronger as we saw versus sporting kc you know the guys after seattle were saying that we had zero shots on goal you know all this stuff and and you know what what better way to clap back uh versus sporting kc and you know having more possession than them in their home field and having more shots than them um so you know we're 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 just you know shutting a couple of mouths up uh, as we go and you know we're, we we're loving it man we're, we're in a good spot right now. We're feeling confident. And I, I think we're going to get another result again on, on Saturday versus Portland. All right, my man. You mentioned the clap back. We saw you on Instagram Live. We saw you after the Sounders game, shushing the crowd. And there's a lot of talk now that you might be kind of the new villain of Major League Soccer. Do, do you realize that? And if that's true, do, do you like the role? Do you accept it? Uh, I mean, I don't know if I like it or not, but... You know, I, I am a very competitive person. You know, I, I, I love to win. And when I lose, I, you know, I get pretty, you know, pretty mad and, and, and sad. So so I do I do uh, love winning. And with that, you know, you have to do do a little bit of smack talking. Uh, and, you know, that's that's what I've been doing uh, these last couple of games, you know, versus Seattle, you know, the whole time they're, you know, talking smack, you know, even even the leagues saying that, you know, we're we wouldn't make it past the first round. And, you know, it, it's just it's just that that type of those type of comments kind of kind of fuel me a little bit and make me, you know, make me play play better. So so I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess I I'll say you know I, I enjoy it. Uh, you know, the role models and like the idols that I grew up watching are are Cristiano Ronaldo and and Kobe Bryant, who are you know two very competitive people and you know two people who who are known for talking talking smack as well. So maybe, you know, maybe I got it from them a little bit. You got a little Nahuel Guzman in you for sure. And, <laughs> and a little bit Nahuel Guzman. Yeah, you know, yep. Sebi brought up uh, that Instagram live. You told the league they should tell Ricardo Pepe to send that trophy back. Now, that's the young player of, of the league award right there. I'm asking you directly. Do you feel like sometimes you don't get your due? Do you feel like sometimes you're overlooked? <laughs> no, of course. Um... You know, even just, just the fact that I'm a goalkeeper, you know, people don't give a lot of praise to goalkeepers. It's just the position, you know. We all know that. Um, you know, even with that whole, you know, young player of the of the years, I, I was like number 18 out of 21, which is, I thought, you know, a little a little disrespectful, just knowing my quality and, and the guys that were named above me. Um, I would say at least, you know, top top five. Um, but, you know, like I said, that, that stuff makes me, you know, make me, it makes me work harder and makes me, makes me better so you know that's that's just the way i go about things and and yeah i did say that about pepe you know i me and pepe have a good relationship so it wasn't too serious you know it's more of a little you know little humor humor between friends um but no i i am very competitive and i and i do believe that that i should have been top five in in those young players David, let's talk about your international career. We'll go back to August. You wrote the article in the Players' Tribune when you announced you'd be switching over uh, to represent Mexico. I wonder what the feedback and really what the fan reaction has been since your announcement, since that decision, uh, not just from the U.S. side, but also the Mexican side as well. Mm -hmm. No, I mean, yeah, I've, I've got a little bit of both. You know, some people will respect my decision, uh, you know. But at the same time, I've gotten, you know, those, those negative, uh, negative uh, thoughts and, you know, what, what people are saying. And they're, they're saying that I'm a snake and I, and I, and I use the U.S. And, and all this stuff. Uh, but, you know, that, that's part of being a professional athlete. Uh, you know, we, we all know that. Um, so I just, you know, got to gotta take those things in and, you know, get them out the, let them out the other year. So, so I mean, yeah, I mean, the way I, the way I w went about my decision is just, you know, blood is thicker. 
um, and you know my blood is, is Mexican and all my roots are Mexican so so I always jumped a plane for Mexico so it, it was definitely a tough decision because I am you know I definitely love this country this country has given everything to, to my parents you know they came here for a reason um, but at the same time you know we, we me as a as a dual national I can't can't forget my roots and you know my, my parents are are the same way they don't forget their roots even though they've been here for you know over 15 years um, so yeah it was definitely a tough decision but you know I think I made the right decision Okay, you made a decision to play for Mexico. Let's look at that setup. We look at Memo Ochoa, he's 36 years old. The backup, Alfredo Talavera, is 39. The third goalkeeper, Rodolfo Cota, is 34. Uh, how close do you feel to getting that L3 opportunity with the Mexican national team? Uh, you know, only, only time will tell. Um, you know, like I told you before, I'm, I'm a competitive person. So I, I would love to be there, you know, in that, in that mix uh, as of now. Just knowing the, how competitive I am and, and the way that I would learn from those three guys who, you know, have, have had a, a great career um, and a long one, most, most importantly. Um, but, you know, only time will tell. You know, everyone knows that, you know, players' careers are, are more important in their clubs. Uh, the clubs are, you know, that, that's where you make your noise. So, so right now, I'm just focused here and, and, you know, hopefully El Tata Martino is watching and, you know, he gives me that call uh, soon. Speaking of club, David, uh, where's your future at? You know, I'm sure you want to play at RSL. Maybe you want to come back and end your career, retired RSL, but something in between. I'm sure uh, maybe there's a move abroad. Have you thought about where your future might lie when you do take that next step? No, no, yeah, for sure. Um, I would say, you know, I'm, I'm happy where I'm at right now. I'm, I'm, I'm 20 years old and I'm, and I'm getting games, you know, every week, which is which is not a, a thing you see a lot with 20 year old goalkeepers. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm I'm learning a lot every day and, you know, I'm grateful for what this club, you know, the opportunity that they that they that they gave me. Um, but but yeah, no, I, I definitely have, you know, big aspirations and and I definitely you know want, want to make that move to Europe. Um, hopefully, you know, in these you know next couple couple years i do want to you know solidify myself here in the mls first and you know get my name known out there and you know keep getting games and 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 show other clubs that you know i can i can play weekend and and week out for for you know for their clubs um so so but yeah i, I definitely have big aspirations i want to play in europe and and as a child i always wanted to play in mexico so if so if that uh if that opportunity opens itself like i, I would i would gladly go go play in mexico as well I have to assume that it's a bit bittersweet knowing that while you're doing very well with RSL and you keep advancing in the Major League Soccer uh, playoffs, that that kind of pulls you away from a call-up with El Tri. We saw Efrain Alvarez and we saw Julian Araujo getting a call-up right now to that game in Chile versus Austin because they're no longer in the playoffs. What is that feeling like for you? No, yeah. Um, you know, and I would say... Um, they, you know, before I did have some talks with, with the coaches in, in Mexico and they, and they told me that, you know, I, I was most likely going to be called up for this friendly. Um, but, you know, lucky enough, and I, I would, I would you know, say lucky enough because, uh, like I told you, club is more important. And, you know, lucky enough, we're, we, you know, we're moving on in this thing. And, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind missing that, that, that Chile friendly if, if you make it to the final. Um, so yeah, I'm my I'm 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 focused on on the club aspect right now, um, and you know hopefully soon if if this opportunity doesn't open uh, for me this time, hopefully in the future another opportunity opens opens itself to to play for Mexico, which is my dream to to play that to put that jersey on and, and represent my 
my parents' country and, and you know, my blood. No doubt, plenty of uh, opportunities in your future. David Ochoa, thanks so much for joining us here on Football Américas. Good luck in the Western Conference Final against the Portland Timbers, and we hope to hear from you again soon here on the show. Perfect. Thank you guys for having me. Take care, man. Yeah. All right, so David and RSL punched their ticket into the Western Conference Final on Sunday. Portland did it on Thanksgiving Thursday with a 1-0 win away at the Western Conference's top seed, Colorado. Her Larry's Maviala, the game winner in the 90th minute, just classic playoff uh, timbers. It was on Thanksgiving Day, by the way. Uh, what do you think about that, MLS going head-to-head -head against the NFL? Well, I liked it because uh, after I watched the NFL, I got to watch uh, MLS soccer in Colorado. Beautiful venue, beautiful stadium. And Larry's Maviala did it again. How many times do the center backs for the for the Portland Timbers come up big in huge games for them? It's it's insane. Uh, that said, thoroughly entertained. Uh, disappointed. We won't see. We've seen Sebastian Blanco. Blanco, excuse me. He got injured. Dairon Aspria got red carded. But uh, entertaining game. Portland still the favorite for you against RSL, even with those significant absences. No, no. Though the last three games, they've beaten RSL, outscored them 12 to 3, and you would assume they'd be the favorites. But when you're going to miss a player like Sebastian Blanco, who's been so instrumental in that second half of the season for the Portland Timbers, who in the last, I believe, 12 starts got seven goals, seven assists, and the last three games has five goals, one assist, you would assume. That's going to be a big loss. But then add to that, Dairona Espria, who's having a career year with 10 goals. I don't know where they make that up. And when you're playing against a team like Ralph Salt Lake, who right now just has that belief. And by the way, they will also have Albert Ruznak. They did it without their captain the last two games. They will also have that playmaker back into the mix. I just don't know how that's, that's being a favorite. So the Timbers right now... At least according to the odds makers, minus 105, RSL plus 270. So the odds makers don't agree with you. They disagree. They say uh, Portland's still a prohibitive favorite. By the way, Portland did appeal the red card for Dairon Aspria. That appeal was denied. So no Dairon Aspria then for Portland in the Western Conference Final. Let's go over to the Eastern Conference, shall we? We uh, got New England and New York City. That's Tuesday night. That'll decide one spot. New the York other spot decided or no, Sunday. New England, they already played, right? No? Uh, Not yet. Philly and Nashville, Herc. Nashville going ahead in the 38th minute. Surprise, surprise, Hani Mukhtari. I'm kind of I'm second guessing my pick for MVP. I'm kind of second guessing my pick for MVP. This man just comes up big. He came up big again. Mukhtar, 16 goals in the regular season, three in the postseason. Philadelphia though, equalizes in first half stoppage time through Daniel Gazdag, the Hungarian. Yeah, that's, that's a nifty finish from Gazdag. It's not easy at all. It's in between three players. Check this out. Willis can't see it. He's screened, and we're all tied up. So it's 1-1, end of regulation. We go to a penalty shootout. Mukhtar saved by Andre Blake. And from there, it would just be one after another after another, Herc. Nashville go 0 for 4. I've never seen anything like it. Philadelphia end up winning the shootout by a final score of 2-0. They won a shootout 2-0. Uh, was this Andre Blake being epic, or is this a Nashville choke job? A little bit of both. Uh, nah, pick one. Pick it, one. It's, well, it's a choke job. I, I was going to say the last two shooters for, for Nashville, they kept staring at the spot like maybe the spot mm -hmm. was affected in some way. Zimmerman it, especially. It, Zimmerman especially after the miss. Correct, but it only affected Nashville. 
That's the thing. It only affected Nashville because I didn't see it affect Philly. And Andre Blake is a madman. There's a reason this guy, I believe 23 games he played, he had 12 shutouts. There's a reason he's one of the best. There's a reason he's the best goalkeeper in CONCACAF, not named Kaler. There's a mm. reason for this. He comes up big yet again. But if you're Nashville and you're in this situation, you can't go 0 for 4. You got to hmm. die of something. You can say it's a spy. You can say whatever it was, but you're the only one who was affected by that. So that leads us to believe, at least on this side of the microphone, on this side of the camera, that it was a choke job. And that's tough to say because they played so well hmm. all year because they were such a strong team. And yes, I agree with Gary Smith. Maybe Hani Mukhtar, he shoots that 100 times and he makes it 99. But this was the one. There's a little bit of history here for Nashville in the Open Cup in 2019, third round against Charleston. They lost a penalty shootout 3-0, uh, missing all their kicks, getting blanked in that one uh, as well. Herc, you've been in a penalty shootout. Yeah. When, when the first guy misses, I imagine it just changes the entire dynamic, not just for his team, but for the other team as well. Yeah, the other team starts to believe your team, the player, the next player, has a little bit more pressure. Now, imagine if that player misses as well. Hmm. Well, now you're doubling the pressure. And then the third guy misses, it's just a, a bad mix, a bad formula. It, what you want to do is you want to be secure, and the first one has to be the most secure. That's why oftentimes it's the best shooter shooting first. Lionel Messi would shoot first. Cristiano Ronaldo would shoot first. Hani Mukhtar would shoot first. It's because you want to set the tone, and when you don't, things can go awry. Did you ever shoot first? Oh, come on. <laughs> come on. Of course I shot first, right? Well, something I could do is shoot. There it is. Look at that. What is this, Herc? Walk us through Open it. Open cup. I believe this was to advance to the quarterfinal. I'm the first shooter. We didn't pass the yeah. midfield line uh, in, the, in the second half or overtime. Uh, but your boy put it where he did. Watch my face as I'm coming back. I was cramping as soon as I shot it. I could no longer move. Look at that. Oh, wow. Old man. I mean, yeah. that, is, that is a definition of top ins and with authority man. You swung through that. That, that, was, that was all power. I want you to look at the Nashville shooters. I want you to look at the Nashville shooters and where they missed. Mm, okay. Yeah. Tentative. Half swings. They almost gave it all to Andre Blake. Andre Blake picks the side, but they make it easy. It's almost centralized. When you hit it, you have to be convinced. If you miss, you miss. I'd rather see it go in row Z, but you hit it the mm -hmm. way you wanted to hit it, with, with pace, with conviction. It just didn't go your way. Then not be convinced. And that's what I saw with the first shooters in Nashville. So some teams like Philly, they're still worried about the current season. Other teams who aren't still around, well, they're worried about next season. Right now, Herc, in MLS, we're getting a lot of roster decision announcements. A big one in Los Angeles. LA Galaxy and Jonah Dos Santos are parting ways. Dos Santos, four and a half seasons with the LA Galaxy. He was an all-star twice. But during that time, L.A. won zero trophies. He was on a reported salary of $2 million. Herc, what's next for Jonah? Oh, this is a tricky situation. He's still only 31 years of age, but you're exactly a year out from the World Cup, a little less than that from the World Cup. Is that still a concern for Jonah Los Santos? I, I would say so, because if you look at World Cup qualifying, He's only played 45 minutes in World Cup qualifying, and he was pulled at half against Panama in those 45 minutes. And since then, he's not showed up, he's not played, and his time at the LA Galaxy has been dwindling. So much so much so that they'd rather go with Ravelson. They'd rather say, you know what, this is a player we believe in more in at this time. So if you're him, you have to go and do one of two things. One, you've got to play somewhere where you get the opportunity to play, okay? You have to be active. Mm -hmm. And two, it has to be a high-profile place where Tata Martino is forced to keep tabs on you. 
If I'm this man, and I know how your mind works, you're already gonna ask me where. Because that's the Sebi Salazar yep. way. You want an yep. answer, where does he go? I believe he goes back to Liga Mekis. And the one place I think just makes sense is Monterrey, Rayados hmm. of Monterrey, because they have the money. This is a team that operates over, I believe, 80 million, uh, just $88 million, just a little less than $90 million uh, transfer value, I'm sorry, player valuation with the players in that roster. He's gonna get a chance to play because they're gonna have league play. He's gonna get a Club World Cup. It's a high profile place where if he wins out his opportunity, he's already beating out a guy like Charlie Rodriguez who's in his, his path anyways with L3. It just makes sense, but he needs to be playing. If he's not playing, that's in jeopardy, that spot. Wow, I thought you were gonna go with Chivas there. He said he would never say no to Chivas after all the connections with America. He has said he wouldn't close the door on Chivas. Not only do they need Mexican players, yes. they need people who they can market. Tell me Jonathan Santos isn't a player you could market down in Mexico. I don't know if Chivas has that money. I don't think wow. they got kind of bread. I mean, Chivas has got their own issues. If Chivas is gonna splurge on a player, I, you think they'd rather not keep Alexis Vega than go for Jonathan Dos Santos? If you're going to spend that money, I would think you keep the future than a mm. guy who's playing on those last legs, relatively speaking. All right, elsewhere in MLS, more news. From up north, Toronto FC announced Bob Bradley as their new manager, Herc. Toronto coming off their second worst season uh, in franchise history. Bradley off four seasons at LAFC, where he both set the regular season points record and won a supporter's shield. So, Herc, what are the expectations for Bob Bradley in Toronto? Is it title or bust? It's not only title. It's multiple titles. It's to win it all. That's the bar that Toronto FC has set. That's the bar that Greg Vanny said. That's the bar that Lightwicky when he was there, that Bill Manning wants to set, that has not that has not achieved himself. Uh, if there's something that Toronto's ownership has done well, is they set that bar. They're not afraid to spend that money to bring in those huge DPs and give these coaches what they need to really survive, not only survive, but thrive. So they need to win the Canadian Cup, they need to win an MLS Cup, and they need to win the CONCACAF Champions League because they got a taste of that. That is bar achieved for Bob Bradley, one of the winningest coaches in North America. That is bar achieved for this organization. Nothing else will suffice. If the expectation, Herc, is to win MLS Cup, if the multiple titles that you're talking about are MLS Cup, then Bob Bradley was the wrong hire. He he's last not, won an MLS Cup in 1998. There were 10 teams in the league, Herc. Bob Bradley is not Bruce Arena. Bob Bradley didn't last win an MLS Cup you, in 2014. You're, you're and then five right, years Bruce later, Arena. Herc, no, five you're years right. later, do a rebuild. You're right, he's, he's not. not Bruce Arena because he didn't choose to stay in Major League Soccer. He went abroad. And whether he failed or succeeded, he was there. La Habra, he was there. Metro Stars were abroad. He was in Chivas Egypt. USA he was abroad. LAFC was abroad. He was coaching a World Cup. He was doing those things. You're absolutely right, Sebi. He was doing all that instead of trying to stay here and pass those steps. Nothing against Bruce Arena, but mm -hmm. you can't compare the two if you're trying to say one evolved and one adapted or whatever the case may be. Bob Bradley tried to do what very few coaches on this side of the hemisphere do. Very few coaches who could be comfortable and just make money. He went abroad. Now, the league has grown and changed a lot. You know the type of teams that win a MLS Cup and, and what they're like. And he hasn't won since he's come back. And you know what those are like. Is Toronto FC and that that carte blanche, if you will, one of those type of teams. Look, if he couldn't do it in four years at LAFC, Herc, 
four years at LAFC with Carlos Vela and all the advantage that we've talked about a million times that you have in Los Angeles. How is he going to do it in Toronto with what you've just said is a rebuild? It's, it, it's an old team. Because the responsibility's on him. There is no John Thurington. There is no, there is no GM or sporting director saying you can or can't do this. And I don't know if that was the situation, but it's on him. If he wants to do something, he goes out and does it because he's the, the guy who's making the contracts right now. He's the guy who's setting the lineup. It's all on him. There are no more bumps in the road. There are more obstacles. If Bob Bradley has this team, that open check, these type of movements he can do with what we've already seen him do at LAFC, you really think it's that far off? Yeah. Uh, let's see if he gets that open checkbook from Toronto. That was also a different era for TFC. They were bringing in big superstars like Hercules Gomez at that time. And so, yeah, well. you know, if those guys are getting paid big bucks on ESPN Plus, I'm told right now. Ha! <laughs> Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. All right, MLS, let's go to Liga MX. We're also down to their uh, last four teams after a oh, wild, this is fun. wild, and frankly sad weekend of upsets uh, in the quarterfinal round. We'll start with Pumas and America, second leg on Saturday at the Azteca. And Pumas, Herc, advanced 3-1 off of a uh, second leg victory. The top seed beating or going down to the 11th seed despite the fact that they were handed somewhat of a gift, you might say, early on with this Emma penalty. Uh, in no way, Herc, is the America defeat here a fluke. Uh, it's not a fluke, and I've been trying to tell you since day one. I've been trying to knock some sense into you, talk some sense into you. By the way, that's a double cross part by the same player on the same set piece sequence. And then it's Kafu Moso. It's Alan Moso. It's Kafu. One. One of three. The first one. They should have given him the goal. I was going to say, did Corozo get the touch there? Because they gave Corozo the goal. But this is a beautiful ball. I mean, this is this is Kafu-like. This is Serginho Dest-like, my man. This is, look at him, dance, my man, dance. After all the problems that Moso has had on the field and off in the last year and a half, maybe two, this was good to see. Yeah, Pumas were really pushing. You felt like they were going to get a third before America were going to get a second. Uh, and they did. Meritao in the 82nd minute, Herc. By the way, Corozo and Meritao were your goal scorers. That blows my mind. So you know how bad it is, Herc? It's so bad that the club has to release a statement. Uh, similar to actually something we saw from America after, remember, the CONCACAF Champions League defeat to LAFC and the, uh, the Piojo Herrera scandal there. Pidiendo disculpas, asking forgiveness uh, of the fan base. Never something you want to see as a fan, your club releasing a statement saying, we're sorry. Here on Football Americas, we would never be sorry to welcome to the program our good friend Mauricio Pedrosa, who you can catch Monday through Friday on Ahora o Nunca. We know he is a devoted Americanista. He must be <laughs> downtrodden. Mao, are you recovered enough to give us a straight answer here? Uh, what was this game more, bad America or good Pumas? 
What's up, go, uh, guys? Uh, I think it has to be more on America. Pumas did just enough. They were just good enough to beat America. And I know we all had some questions about the performance of Santiago Solari's team coming up to this quarterfinal match against Pumas, but I never expected the team to be so low on energy, so disconnected, and I... I put a lot of the blame on the manager, and Santiago Solari gave an interview a month ago or so where, where he showed his, uh, his disgust with the system, with the format, the playoff format. And now I don't know if he just doesn't like the format, he doesn't understand how to play a playoff, a liguilla like that. Six months ago, he tried to go all in, lost against Pachuca. Now, he tried to play, park the boss the first game, tried to then go and attack the second game, and it was not good enough. But I, I, I sense that the team never understood what the manager wanted from them. I'm giving credit to Pumas. Pumas played again good enough. I don't think they played spectacularly at the Estadio Azteca. It says way more about this America than Pumas, again, uh, Tip you cap to them, but but it was it was a poor performance by the number one ranked team in Liga MX. Mi querido hermano Mauricio, good to have you as always. I'm gonna aggravate Seb right here because I'm not gonna give him a straight answer, and he absolutely hates that. But it's both. It's the meeting of both of America bad and Pumas good. Now let me just read off some things. Sans the World Cup, the Club World Cup, okay, where they faced Kashima Antlers and Al Ain FC when he was at Real Madrid. Sans that, okay, exclude that. He lost every single major knockout game. I'm talking Barcelona in the Copa del Rey, Ajax in the Champions League, Pachuca last year. I'm talking about the CCL final versus Rayados. Now this versus Pumas, a team that in their last four games leading up to this matchup had only scored two goals. And then let's talk about Pumas. Week 1 through 11, they won one game. But if you go after that out of a possible 18 points, they got 13. They were one of the hottest teams in the league. They knocked out Toluca, and they came into this game, and you could almost feel it. You could almost sense it. You knew this was going to happen. I know my bro right there, Mauricio Pedrosa, knew this was going to happen. I knew deep down in his bones, in those little bones of his, that Sebastián Salazar knew this would happen. They're not a spectacular team. They're not a team that's made for the playoffs. They're a team that's made to grind out points with a favorable, favorable calendar at the beginning of the season. And at the end of the season, when your boy said this would happen, it happened. Now, the one thing that I that I want to say about or, or reply to what Herc just said is the following. Yes, we all had a sense that something wrong might happen to America if they kept playing the way they finished the season. Now, I that, there, there's two specific things that I want to talk about. Number one is tactics. When you go and play a 4-4-2 like America did, playing Alvaro Fidalgo on the right wing, what the hell is that? <laughs> playing two number nines, Henry Martin, Roger Martinez, which you had never done during the season, obviously things are going to go wrong. And that's on the manager. Now, we also have some individual performances to point at and, and when we consider what America did. Uh, Emanuel Aguilera and Sebastián Cáceres, are they still professional defenders? In the Mexican League, because their performance was this also was all season a from them. disgrace. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it was bad. So, so yes, we saw it coming. I just never expected it to be this bad as it was on Saturday night. So our attention then turns to the manager Santiago Solari and his future with Club América. Let's hear what not just he has to say about it, but also what América legend Cuauhtémoc Blanco had to say about it. 
¿Has pensado en renunciar a la América? No, en ningún momento no. No, nosotros hacemos siempre una evaluación general, ¿no? Evidentemente. Sí, eh, yo entiendo que el torneo es así y que el torneo es muy emocionante, pero, eh, pero nunca lo puntual nos puede hacer que perdamos de vista lo global. Y yo no me refiero yo aquí a mi trabajo o al trabajo del cuerpo técnico, me refiero al trabajo del club, de la institución y del grupo de jugadores. ¿no? O sea, entiendo que hoy estamos todos decepcionados y dolidos, pero también entiendo que hemos sido el equipo que más puntos sumó en el año entero. O sea, parece una contradicción. Pero así es el formato. Lo que tenemos que hacer nosotros es mejorar en estas instancias. Yo tendría que, tendría que salir. Te digo que tendría que salir porque no puedes perder así contra los Pumas. Y algunos jugadores que no dieron el ancho. Entonces, este, vamos a ver qué decisiones toma la directiva porque creo que todos los americanos estamos enojados. No enojados en All right, boys, so what do we think? Mauricio, I'll start with you. Should America fire Santiago Solari? No, he has to stay put. He is absolutely right. He was able to manage 70-plus uh, points during the calendar year, and that's, that's, that's not a minor thing. That's actually pretty good. Now, he has to learn how to play Liguillas, how to manage during playoff time, and I think he has learned. I think he earned... He earned another shot. He earned a chance to make some changes in the roster, which are coming, by the way. And he earned the right to have another go at showing us that he learned mm -hmm. how to play this, this, this format. He has, done, he has done good things with the team. If he learned how to play Liguillas, then we might have ourselves a championship caliber manager at Club America. Ah, mm. nothing Big like if. El Club Big America, Sebi. <laughs> the place where you can learn on the go, where you could be who you want to be, and maybe win the big games. This is the problem with Santiago Solari. Santiago Solari is a very good coach, but he's not the coach that's made, tailor-made for Club America. The odiame mas, that arrogance about the coach who's supposed to be there. The, the one who knows that America can never play a scared mentality or scared mm. formation or scared tactically like he did against Pumas in the first leg, like he did against Pumas in the second leg. The one who imposes his style on the opponent. There's a mentality, there's an aura about America, and it always has been. You're going away from that. You're reverting to something else when you go with Santiago Solari. I'm not saying they should fire Santiago Solari. I'm telling you, Santiago Solari and America are not one for the other. Yeah, that's Kirk. what it is for me. That's Real what it quick. is for me. If, if you're going to be pragmatic, if you're going to be pragmatic, then you have to have results. He has chosen time and time again to be pragmatic, which a team which may not be spending like Rayados, may not be spending like Tigres, but is outspending most of the Mexican league. If that's how you're going to go, then... You have to win. You have to win. And if you don't win playing ugly, why, Mal? Why bring him back? Now, here's my point. Exactly what you just said. He doesn't have a great roster. That's not a, that's not a super team. They don't have a superstar. America is used to have a superstar every time they won the championship. And I will ask Hercules Gomez right now, if you're so sure that he's not the right guy for the job, then who is? Mm. If you can give me right now one name to take his place, 
Ben, I believe what you're saying, but you don't have a name right now. They win There's now no and got a guy who coached Real Madrid. You've said that they're the, that America's the Real Madrid of Latino America. So why can't they go out it and is. get somebody else? It, this whole thing, like, oh, there's nobody else, I always hear as a fallback excuse to why not move on from somebody. Yeah, that, that's, that's, not, that's not a reason. You don't stay with a partner because there's nobody else. If you're not meant for that person, you leave. All right, let's move on to one of the uh, interesting things that has come up out of this match. Of course, you can talk about the managers, but you got to talk about the players as well. And one of the players that, for me, did not shine at all for America, Sebastián Córdoba. And now he's caught up in rumors of a reported potential swap, guys, between Club América and Chivas. Córdoba would go to Chivas. Uriel Antuna would come to Club América. Mal, what do you think? Good idea? No, bad idea. The only fact, the only fact that these two general managers are talking to each other, being the bitter rivals that they are, is shameful. It's, <laughs> it's a disgrace. I don't understand it. That's number one. Because you, had a, you have to respect the rivalry. That's number one. Number two, I can see someone like Uriel Antuna being very useful for Club America, yes. especially the way Santiago Solari likes to play. Again, he had to play Alvaro Fidalgo on the right wing because he doesn't have a player with those characteristics, being fast, being, playing a direct game. Uriel Antuna can do that. I understand the America side of the negotiation. I don't understand Chivas. What, what have they seen in Sebastián Córdoba lately mm. that's leading Ricardo Peláez to go, we need this guy? They already have a guy like that. It's El Canelo Angulo, who, who actually has played much better than Sebastián Córdoba in recent memory. Here's the thing. They need two of those guys, right? And because they didn't have another second one right there, Jesus Molina, the aging defensive midfielder, was playing more advanced in the field in that central role, trying to be that player. And oftentimes, he'd score a goal or two, he'd join in the attack, and you're like, okay, this isn't so bad. But if you're Ricardo Pelayes, if you're, if you're Michelle Leaño, Michelle Leaño, excuse me, and you think you can get a player of Córdoba who you can reclaim or reignite that talent because we saw him at the Olympics and he was a very good player. You saw how effective he was in the pre-Olympic tournament in Guadalajara. He's a very good player. He only played nine games for Club America. He played something like 54% of the minutes available to him. I think he would be a very useful player. I actually think this is a win-win. Mm. I agree with Mauricio. Uriel Antuna makes a lot of sense with the pragmatic approach that Solari plays and with them attacking down the wings and looking to serve the ball in. Uh, that type of speed is beneficial official to a team like America. I actually think this makes sense for Chivas as well. I think it's a win-win for both players. I don't care about it being America, it being Chivas, and they can't talk to each other because we've seen this so many times. Osvaldo Sanchez, Ramon Ramirez, we've seen Oribe Peralta, we've seen Ángel Reina. How many times have we seen you play in Chivas, you've played in America, nothing happens. As an Americanista, I would love nothing more than to see America take Córdoba, sell him to Europe just the way they did with Jiménez, just the way they did with Diego Lainez. But as a Mexican national team supporter, if you're looking at Sebastián Córdoba, this is a player who needs, I think you said the word uh, reignition, Herc, he needs Reignite, to jumpstart yeah. his career right now. This is a player who, for the last months, basically since returning from the Olympics, where yes, he was good, has not been an impact player, has not been a consistent difference maker for 
América. I would hate to see him leave Club América and hate more to see him go to Chivas. Yes, to Mal's point, those rivalries cut deep. But this is a player who right now, for the good of the national team, needs to get started. Because there was a moment a few months ago when we were asking what Cordoba's role was with the senior national team. When would he be breaking into the starting lineup? I don't think we're honestly having that conversation anymore based on his recent performances. So, from Cordoba's perspective, he absolutely, I think, uh, needs yeah. a move. Let's go elsewhere in Liga MX. Uh, another big upset, guys. Atlas and Rayados. Uh, now, this one, wild, right? Uh, first leg between these two teams was a 0 0 uh, in Monterrey. So, Atlas only then needing a draw because they were second uh, in the table and Rayados ninth. Julio Furch uh, ends up putting Atlas up after a, I think, pretty clear penalty here. Yeah, Herc? Uh, what? Did you say clear penalty? Look, he got it right there. No, yep. He kicks the ground, yep. Sebi. Yep, yep. <laughs> penalty on the grass. Uh, regardless, Atlas was a better team over two legs. They deserved, and I hate using the word deserved, but this Were is they? a team. Yeah, I think so, because Rayados, this is a spectacle for Rayados. Uh, they're a team that's got a good goalkeeper, Camilo Vargas, very defensively structured, interesting players like Julio Furch, physically just a handful for anybody. You got players like Quinones on the other side that could uh, really create things on the offensive end of the field, and they're well coached by Diego Coca, and they took it to this team of Monterrey. I don't know what anybody expected out of this other than that. Yeah, Atlas uh, held the lead 1-0 for a long time. Rayados, of course, came, had chance after chance. They got their equalizer in the 73rd from Pochicho Gonzalez here. <laughs> it's a good goal from Pochicho. Yeah, and, that, uh, uh, hey, I'm sorry, Mal, go ahead. No, I was going to say, Pochicho Gonzalez was actually the best player for Monterrey in both legs, but I hate saying this. Herc was right, and I was absolutely wrong. I thought Rayados had a switch that they were going to be able to turn on come Liguilla time, but it was not like that. And Atlas was actually, they had the best goalkeeper during the regular season, one of the best uh, system tactics in terms of defense all along the season. It, 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 it pains me to say this, but he was absolutely right. It makes sense that this Atlas was able to beat these Rayados. Mm, it does. Let's listen into that uh, post-game sound from the manager, Javier El Vasco Aguirre. This is what he had to say about the, why Rayados went out in the quarterfinals. Un año largo, complicadísimo. Eh, éramos, somos una plantilla corta y, y, y ves el banco, el banquillo de hoy, pues es lo que tenemos casi todo el año. Seis chavos de expansión, jugaron ocho en toda la temporada, muchas fechas FIFA, tres partidos cada fecha FIFA, muchas ausencias, lesiones en selecciones. Nos costaba armar cada semana el equipo y aún así transitamos en una liga irregular. La buena noticia es que ganamos una de las dos competencias que teníamos y que el año que viene tendremos dos competencias. Una iríamos al extranjero y la otra al local y vamos a intentar a ver si somos capaces de mejorar esta instancia. Plantilla corta. Not enough in his roster. What's Aguirre talking about here, Mao? It's not only the fact that he's wrong, it's that he had a chance to actually design and build this roster. Javier Aguirre was able to let go of five players in the past uh, transfer window. They brought him new players in every single level, new goalkeeper, world-class goalkeeper, new defenders in Hector Moreno, and then 
two attacking players that he actually handpicked and who were actually available for this game. So that statement, I mean, if, I, if I'm the owner of Rayados de Monterrey, I'm scratching my head saying, am I paying this guy $4 million a year to give that kind of statement after losing to Atlas? It was, it was actually bad. Bad looks for Javier Aguirre. It's insane, let alone bad. You're talking about Liga de Expansión. What must Pumas, who actually played with players from the Liga de Expansión, be thinking? Your team has a value, a team value of almost $90 million. Your backup players, your reserves play on national teams in Comnebol. You've got a nine who's a backup who was... The Dutch national team, nine, who played for Tottenham Hotspur. I don't know what this man's talking about. Let's take a look at what uh, Rayados got in the draw for the FIFA Club World Cup, which, of course, we know is coming up next year in February. They'll enter the tournament in the quarterfinal round where they'll get Al-Ali SC, the champions of Africa and a powerhouse out of Egypt. Uh, their semifinal matchup would be against Palmeiras, the winners of the Copa Libertadores out of Brazil. The question here is, is there any chance, Mao, that Rayados, coming off this defeat in Ligia, will make it to the final of the FIFA Club World Cup, as we saw last time around from Tigres? I mean, at this point, what do I know regarding Rayados? Nobody knows. I mean, it all, it all, it all depends if Javier Aguirre believes he has the roster deep enough to go and compete at the Club World Cup. But, hey, we already had a sample of what this team can do at that level. The, remember when we saw Rayados playing Liverpool and we said, wow, this is actually a roster that was very competitive at playing against one of the best teams in the world. So, again, this is actually a stronger team than the one they had two years ago. They are they actually built for a long run at the, world, at the Club World Cup. Yeah, I remember that Liverpool team, though, makeshift back line. Uh, it, it was uh, not a good thing. What I will say is this is almost the same road that Tigres had in what was their final with Bayern Munich. So, yes, it is achievable. You've got an, a game that's easily accessible in the first round. And then Paul made us in the second round, which Tigres beat to get to the final. So they can do it. That said, this Chelsea, the way they play with their players, that system, very difficult. But Monterrey on their day with this talent level, they can certainly hurt a number of teams. We're all very focused here on best case scenario. What if they lose to Alali? This tournament in February, the league season starts in January, they get off to a slow start. What if the FIFA Club World Cup put uh, even more pressure? on El Vasco. Let's take a look then at the bracket as it stands. Four teams left down in Mexico. Uh, there are your semifinal matchups. Atlas against Pumas and Leon who beat Puebla. Uh, they advance to face Tigres. Uh, Mao, who is the new favorite here from the four teams that are left? Oh man, I want to say Leon because I think they have a very, very solid roster. But I think I have to say Tigres at this point. They have the manager, they have the talent, they have the experience, and they know how to play these kind of games. Uh, the, other, the other matchup, again, is also very, very tight. Atlas versus Pumas. Pumas has all momentum with them, but Atlas, 60 years without winning a championship. Again, very, very close. But I have to say Tigres should be the favorite right now.
I don't think I don't think there's a question about who's the favorite. I mean, the 11th seed in, in Pumas versus a team that's not won in 60-something years versus Leon, who's been inconsistent the last year. For a team that, in Tigres, five-time Liga MX champions in the last 11 years, Copa MX champion, CONCACAF Champions League champion, a finalist in Libertadores, finalist at the Club World Cup. I mean, it's easily the most stacked team regardless of whatever team is in this playoffs. And now they're in the Final Four, easily the favorites. All right, no love for Atlas there, huh? I know we mentioned 60 years. 1951, their one and only Liga MX title. Uh, should be a very interesting semifinals and from then on to the finals down in Mexico. Mauricio Pedrosa, thanks as always for the time here on Football Americas. We'll see you soon. Thank you, guys. On Ahora Nunca. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. To the U.S. Women's National Team got a game in a couple hours against Australia, which you can catch here on ESPN. They'll be playing Australia for the second time in four days. Back on Friday, things got off to a great start. Herc Ashley Hatch, 26 seconds into the game. Also, it wasn't a fluke. You're telling me she doesn't just score goals at the NWSL level. She could do it at national team level, too? Mm-hmm. Golden boot for the Washington Spirit. Gets her goal there for the national team. The second one comes just after halftime. Rose Lavelle, assist from Midge Purse. Yeah, it's a good assist. Rose Lavelle from that distance isn't going to miss. Very well struck. The keeper got a hand to it, but not enough. Speaking of keepers, Casey Murphy for the United States had a great game. Lindsey Horan as the third for the Americans in the 68th minute, wearing the number 10 that she's taken over her okay. from Carly Lloyd. Okay, the number 10, no responsibility. Okay. Yeah. Uh, first time somebody other than Lloyd has worn number 10 since, I think, somewhere around 2008. Vladko Andonovsky improves his record. 13-2-2 now uh, in competitive matches with the U.S. Uh, women's national team. Of course, picked up a bronze at the Olympics as the U.S. was able to beat Australia, funny enough, 4-3 in that bronze medal match. However, Herc, the U.S. won just two of six games in Tokyo. And now we focus on a new young team okay. under Vlatko Andonovsky. How much pressure is the U.S. women's national team manager under? Well, Sepp, you're the authorized voice on this, so mm. you tell me honestly, <laughs> honestly, because I could sit here and tell you they have to win because they're the U.S. women's mm -hmm. national team, because they're the big, powerful, you know, strong team. But you tell me, just realistically, Vlatko, is he under pressure? Well, like, what is pressure, right? Could we compare it to Mexico, where the papers are going to be writing about him, and uh, sports talk radio and television are going to be screaming that Vladko Andonovsky needs to go if the team doesn't play well? No, there's not that kind of pressure, uh, for sure. I think also Vladko Andonovsky is very, very popular, not just with the press here, um, but also with the player pool. All that being said, her. This is now his team. Yeah. Since he took over after the 2019 World Cup, there's always been kind of not an excuse, 
but an asterisk, right? Uh, this team just won the World Cup. You can't possibly turn it over too much. We got the Olympics coming right. in a year. Oh wait, now we got a pandemic. We don't have time to bring in new players and get them tested. So we still got to take the team from 2019 to the Olympics, even if it is in 2021. Now, all those excuses gone. We saw for the first time here, remember, those first four games after the Olympics, he had to call in the Olympic team. This is his first roster, Herc, where it's truly his choice of players. Of the available players, he gets to pick who he wants. And I think he's made it very, very clear. He's not just going young, he's going very young. And when you do that, Herc, you roll the dice. Because if those results don't continue, you still have superstar aging players who are very popular, not just with the Federation, but with, with the, the fan base, with the sponsors. And so if you keep those players out and you try to do a, a generational shift and it doesn't go well early, things can turn on you. There are few U.S. women's national team managers in the past who have tried it. And I'm telling you, the players will turn if the results uh, don't stay. Because as you say, the U.S. women's national team has always come to expect her uh, to be winning games no matter what else. Speaking of teams that are now starting to expect to win games. Oh, yeah, real quick, I, I should note this because I'm going to be up for a few more hours. Australia, <laughs> USA, it's a 4 a.m. Eastern time start, Herc. 4 a.m. Eastern time, uh, 1 a.m. over there on the Pacific Coast. So uh, just leave the club a little bit early, right? Leave the Ooh. bar a few, few hours before you're ready Set to. Set my alarm. What do you mean? Get yourself sorted. I'll be Should be in a, a good feedings. show there. <laughs> Julie Foudy and I will be uh, on the call. USA, uh, the top dog, right, in CONCACAF. Well, maybe not. Maybe Canada's now the top dog. After all, they won the gold medal at the recent Olympics. But Mexico got a huge result. Herc Shocker, they beat Canada. Uh, two to one. Goals from Stephanie Mayor, that was the first one, the penalty there. And then Alicia Cervantes got the, uh, the second one for Mexico. Jordan Wiedema, the goal for Canada, but the final score there, uh, two to one. Huge result for Mexico. We've seen them beat Colombia and Argentina, but Canada, the, the gold medal team, that's a, a whole nother level. And how about this? The Puskas Award finalists are out, and we've got a nominee from Liga MX Femenil, Daniela Sanchez. Of Querétaro. Daniela Sanchez of Querétaro wasn't the only player in Liga MX Femenil dropping bombs this year. I feel like the majority of our top tens came from Liga MX Femenil. Straight out bombs. Not only weaving through players, but look at the shot right in the upper V. Yeah, and it was well remembered. They just came out now, and that goal from back in January of 2021. USL Championship. Uh oh. Final over uh, the weekend. Oh. No. Orange County and Tampa Bay, and it was Orange oh, no. County that jumped on the lead. Oh, no. I never got one of those when I was playing. Oh, come on. Really? Yes. It's such a weird game, too, because, like, Tampa Bay, would you say they were the better team, or at least for long stretches? Well, that's football. You could be the better team for long stretches, but if you give up a play like that, I mean, emotionally, it puts you behind the eight ball. And then give up a second one shortly after? Come on. Yeah, Orange County were rolling. Ronaldo Adamos uh, with the first couple goals. Miko Coningas uh, with the third. That made it 3 nothing. Tough day at the office there for Tampa Bay. All their excellent history. Trying to get one back late. Oh, come on, Michael. Come on, Orozco. There oh. it is, 57th minute. Leo Fernandez, uh, el gol del honor. Yeah. For Tampa Bay. Yeah, they'll, they'll take it. You know, give the fans something to, to cheer about. Not the final. Outcome they expected, but congratulations, Orange County SC. Orange County SC then 
with the victory, their first USL championship win. So congratulations to Orange County, the fighting Michael Oroscos. That's right. He will fight. That's my man. And uh, during the match, by the way, Herc, some interesting news about the future of the USL delivered by the commission himself, Jake Edwards on ESPN. Uh, as we uh, take active steps to more fully align our leagues with the global structure of football. We're working to bring a promotion relegation structure into our league across our multiple divisions. Uh, we're looking to align our season uh, with the international uh, calendar uh, for football. So these are massive structural changes. Uh, we're looking to make changes that our supporters are asking for, changes that we feel will make our league stronger, uh, more competitive and more compelling. All right, Herc, talking some promotion relegation, talking some calendar issues as well. What do you make of what Jake Edwards has to say? How important is it for USL to make the switch to the FIFA calendar? Well, I think for USL, it's very important. It gives them a sense of legitimacy uh, in in FIFA, in, in this market, where they're trying to set themselves apart from what is Major League Soccer and not be under that umbrella or under uh, what is Major League Soccer, I guess, stranglehold in the U.S. soccer system, if you will. And with Major League Soccer initiating their own reserve league or, or, or a type of third division, I believe it was, uh, it makes sense for USL to try to branch out and be creative and try to find some, some way of surviving themselves. I think it makes a lot of sense, and I think this is the road, the path to more relationships with Europe. Uh, the point you make about differentiation from MLS, very interesting to me. A lot of people complain about the Major League Soccer schedule. This would clearly be a way for USL to differentiate themselves. But Jake Edwards also talked about promotion uh, and relegation. Yeah. And I was just thinking, Herc, uh, watching that game last night, how much more interest, not just I would have had in it, but I think all fans would have had in if there was a spot in the next division on the line. You know, we, we really do miss that in American soccer. Congratulations to Orange County, of course, but there's an emptiness when you watch that game, isn't there? No, I mean, if you put it that way, yes, there is an emptiness because when you play a pro-rel type of game, when you play for the opportunity to ascend, to be promoted, there's extra feeling that goes with it, a sense of pride, a sense of community, mm -hmm. and you're like, we did it type of deal. And also, the failure is collective. Uh, it would be cool to see something like that in North America, here in the United States. Being part of that, when I had relegation battles uh, to stay in top flight in Mexico, I could tell you it's a different type of animal, a different type of atmosphere, and it really does bring out the best sink or swim um, type of atmosphere. All right, one more thing then on this edition, Herc, of Football Americas, Ballon d'Or. Ooh, the big awards starting to come out today. On the men's side, a bit of a surprise. It depends Is who it? you like, who you root for. Lionel Messi gets his seventh Ballon d'Or. Right, Messi winning is not a surprise. I guess Robert Lewandowski not winning is a surprise. Uh, if this was 2020 and he didn't win, I would be very surprised. But 2020, clear landslide winner. I, I think you could say, okay, he led Europe in goals. He won the Bundesliga. He won a Club World Cup. But with Poland, he didn't exactly do much. But Lionel Messi, Lionel Messi, excuse me, uh, Pichichi, so he led goals in Europe. I'm sorry, in Spain. Uh, Copa del Rey. He won the Copa America, where he was the best player at that tournament after a long drought, and he became the all-time leading goal scorer in South American football. I don't think this is a, a robbery. I don't think by any stretch mm. of the imagination you should, people should be saying that Lewandowski was robbed. I think you could easily make a case for Lionel Messi. If this is 2020, 
Lewandowski, but it's not 2020. It's 2021, and I see no issue with Lionel Messi being the best player. Women's Ballon d'Or goes to Alexia Puteas, who you saw there on the screen of Barcelona. Yeah. What are they doing at the Barcelona Man. Academy? So both of your Ballon d'Or winners, Herc, both products uh, of La Masia. And How the Ballon, yeah. That? There you Young go. boy, Pedri. All right, so that'll do it for this edition of Football Americas. We will back with a, be back with a fully packed show on Thursday. Uh, Herc with another T-shirt, which I'm sure will jump out of the screen at you. We'll see you next time here on ESPN+. It's going to be really short. Come on. Come on.